Thank you so much. Thank you, choir. Thanks to our praise team. Thank all of you for worshiping this morning, and I pray that God was honored in uh, what we sung and how we sang, and that he received glory and honor in all of this. If you brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 18. And this morning I want to share with you a sermon that I've entitled, Lessons from the Red Sea. Lessons from the Red Sea. And I noticed they're singing pretty well tied along with the message. Uh, in our, even in our uh, opening uh, call to worship song or prepared to worship song we listen to. And so we want to look at lessons from the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14, we'll begin reading with verse 1 through 18. Now the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Paharath between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Saphon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may be known or may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took six hundred choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the seaside, uh, beside Pihathroth, before Baal-Ziphon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in, uh, in the wilderness? Why have you so dwelt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. 
and I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come together and worship, and now to open your word, the Holy Scriptures, the inspired, the inerrant word of God. I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you for the promises found in it. I thank you for the teachings that we find in it. So speak to our hearts today that we may gain lessons from the experiences there at the Red Sea. Father, fill my heart with your words. I pray that you'll use me at this time. Give me the words to say. Give me the right spirit, I pray, to say them in. And Father, may I depend upon you for strength and guidance uh, during this time. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, lessons from the Red Sea. First of all, if you remember the previous verses leading up to this chapter, Pharaoh had came to a point to where he permitted the children to leave Israel. But prior to that, if you remember, there was a series of plagues. Back in, um, back in chapter 10 and following, you have 10 plagues. Beginning with chapter 7, you have the, where the water was turned into blood. Chapter 8, you have the frogs covering the land. Chapter 8, you also have the lice or the gnats. Exodus chapter 8, you had the swarms of flies. Chapter 9, you had the diseased livestock. Chapter 9, you also had the boils, the sores. Chapter 9, you had the hell and the fire. Chapter 10, you had the locusts. Chapter 10, you also had darkness that covered the earth. And chapter 11, you had the death of the firstborn. And it was after the death of the firstborn that Pharaoh decided to let God's people leave Egypt. And so he let them go. And then all of a sudden he thought, what have I done? What have I done? I mean, all of a sudden, as he looks out and sees the people leaving, he says, there goes, there goes my farm workers. There goes my carpenters. There goes my brick makers. There goes my stone masons. There goes all of my pride. There goes all of my ego. There, there goes all of my economy as he sees those Israelites leave the land of Egypt. And so in chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says he gathered his army and his chariots, and he quickly pursued the children of Israel. Now, Israel had an army. It was kind of a rough army. It was just a group of men, the men that left with the with the women and the children as they went to this land that God had promised them. And so they had an army, but Pharaoh had an army. Pharaoh had several soldiers, several chariots. And he gathered his army, and he gathered these men, uh, his men, as long and and God gathered his men. So basically he had two armies. One was very equipped and one was ill-equipped. One was well-equipped and the other one uh, had very little. They, they had uh, their wives and their children. They also had their livestock. And so the Israelites, they were traveling in a certain direction. And Pharaoh took, uh, he took 
he kind of laughed perhaps to himself when he realized the direction that they were traveling in because he knew that they would be caught between a mountainous range and the Red Sea. And so he thought that he had them trapped. He thought that, you know, I have, I have them trapped. And what he didn't know was that he was the one that was going to be trapped. And because of what was said and done, he really would not defeat the Israelites, but they would defeat him. He would be completely defeated. And so, however, the Israelites, when they saw Pharaoh, Pharaoh coming and they realized that their back was against the sea and they had mountains on the left and mountains on the right, they became afraid. And so, first of all, if you're taking notes, I want you to notice the children of Israel were in a perilous place. They were in a perilous place. They were in a hopeless place. They had the Red Sea to their back. They had Pharaoh coming with his army toward the front. They had mountains on the right. They had mountains on the left. There was nowhere where they could go. You know, there's an old saying that no doubt you've heard from time to time. Sometimes we get stuck between a rock and a hard place. God's people were stuck between a rock and a hard place. Another old saying you might have heard, uh, the saying is, you know, sometimes we get stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. They were actually stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. This, this is exactly where the children of Israel were. And so this morning, perhaps there's someone here, someone here in this place, and you feel that you're in a perilous position. You feel that perhaps you're in a perilous place. It may be about your job. It may be about your school. You may be in a perilous position in regards to a relationship. I talked to a couple this past, well, a couple of weeks ago, and they were offering refuge for this woman and her two children, just a safe place until they could get things worked, or she could get things worked out between her and her husband, either separation or divorce or whatever was going to take place. She was in a perilous situation. You may be in a perilous situation this morning. You may have some type of addiction. That's a perilous situation. So today, someone's between a rock and a hard place. Someone here, someone that'd be listening to this by radio or watching by television, you're in a perilous situation between a rock and a hard place. You may think that you've been caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. And really, in your own thinking, there's no way out. There's no hope whatsoever. There seems to be no relief. There seems to be no escape. There seems to be no solution. There seems to be no deliverance available. There seems to be no deliverance forthcoming. You cannot see yourself out of this situation. But when you take this passage of Scripture, the Word of God, the Word of God shows that in that time uh, in, in, with the Israelites and this perilous situation that they were in, and perhaps the time, the time now, the perilous situation that you're in, this, the time of no hope, the time of no deliverance, that's exactly when God Almighty wants to invade your situation, do the impossible, and give you the deliverance in such a supernatural way that His Son, Jesus Christ, will be honored and glorified by it. That's what God wants to do in your life. And then he'll strengthen you for the battle that you have ahead of you. So if you want to trust Jesus Christ to lead you, 
If you would only trust him to lead you, trust him to guide you. When you think that you're stuck between a rock and a hard place or between the devil and a deep blue sea, that's when God's going to manifest himself in your life. So what can we learn from the scripture? First of all, we learn that the scripture teaches there is deliverance in perilous times. You'll see that in this passage of scripture. Well, what else can we learn? Jot this down. These scriptures teach us something about heaven. These scriptures teach us something about heaven. Now, when you read chapter 7 through 11, you have recorded 10 plagues that were sent uh, on, the on the Egyptians by God. They were sent to the Egyptians. And uh, these plagues were to convince Pharaoh that God was the one true God and then convince Pharaoh to let, his, let God's people go. And Pharaoh, the Bible says, hardened his heart. He hardened his heart to the message of God. He hardened his heart to the request of God. He hardened his heart to the invitation of God to let my people go. Chapter 4, verse 8 says something different, though. Chapter 4, verse 8 says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So in one part of chapters 4 or chapters 7 through 11, you have at times where Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now you have a place where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. <clears throat> and Pharaoh, when you think about hardening his heart, Pharaoh did the exact same thing perhaps as some of you are doing this morning. Pharaoh did the exact same thing as a lot of people do. Uh, you know, you hear the word of God, and uh, from week after week, perhaps, I've told you that God loves you. I've told you from this pulpit that Jesus loves you. I've told you that, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I've told you that he shed his blood to pay your sin debt. I've preached that Jesus was buried and he remained in the grave three days. He arose again. I've preached, I've told you that he ascended to the Father. I've preached and I've told you that he's coming again. I've, I've shared with you time and time again about, about the reality of heaven and the reality of hell and the reality of judgment. I've shared with you that the only escape for you is to turn to Jesus Christ. I tell you that he loves you no matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've been hooked on meth. It doesn't matter if you've been hooked on, on crack or, or alcohol. It doesn't matter if, it, if, uh, if you've had an abortion. It doesn't matter that, if you've, that you have uh, uh, committed adultery. It doesn't matter if you committed divorce. It doesn't matter if you're living with someone out of wedlock. It doesn't matter if you've lied, if you've cheated, if your life, if you consider your life just a total mess. I've told you time and time and time again that God loves you and he's a God of grace. And if you'll just come to him, he'll forgive you. Don't worry about getting better before you come to him. Don't worry about what others are going to say. If you're going to come to him, just come to him just as you are, and he'll love you into his kingdom, and he'll save you by his grace. I've shared that message time and time and time and time again over the years. I've told you that time and time, and you've hardened your heart. Now, let me share this with you. Every time that you say no to Jesus, you harden your heart. 
Every time that you say no to Jesus, your heart is calloused just a little bit more. Every time that you say no to Jesus, you're laying a brick to a wall to wall out Holy Spirit conviction and to wall out God speaking to your heart. Every time you say no to Jesus, and it happens several times, you're building up a wall between you and God. Every time that happens, several times, Pharaoh, several times, he continued to harden his heart to the message of God. And now the Bible says that God hardened his heart. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, what does that mean? Now, you have a lot of people with different ideas of what it means when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Let me tell you what I think it means. I think it means that one day God's patience runs out. When God hardens your heart, I believe God's patience runs out. You remember reading in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, God's word says as God is, is, is probably um, uh, oh, just taking an overview of his creation and how wicked man had become. And God said this, God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man forever. And then in Proverbs 29, verse 1, he said that he that is often rebuked and hardens his neck or stiffens his neck will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. He that hardens his neck. You see, that's a picture of a, of a farmer putting a yoke upon uh, an ox. And that old ox just stiffens up and it don't want that yoke that really would make its burden much lighter. But it stiffens up. It's a picture of resistance. It's a picture of how that oak resists, that ox resists the yoke and how, how a person resists God in their life. Remember Romans, remember Romans chapter 1. The Bible says that people persisted in their unbelief and their sin, refusing the gospel call. And in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God gave them up. My spirit will not always strive with men. He that hardens his neck is suddenly destroyed. And then in Romans 1.24, God gave them up. So God gave them over to their sin. God gave them over to their unbelief. And so be careful because God will harden your heart. God will withdraw his spirit from you. You know, uh, you watch football games and on TV, and, and uh, you have these college games. I watched one yesterday. And on this college game, you have this imaginary line that shows the first down line, the first down marker. And we can see it on TV, but they can't see that on the field. And so there is, a, there is a line, think of this, there is a line that's unseen that crosses every path of every person, and it's God's deadline. Now think of this. It's a hidden boundary between God's patience and God's wrath. And there was a line drawn somewhere in, in front of my path. There's a line drawn somewhere in front of your path. And it's known only to God. And when you cross that line, God has hardened your heart to the point 
that he pulls his spirit. You've hardened your heart so much, then God hardens your heart to the point that he pulls his spirit away from you. And you never, it comes a day, a time, when God says, you don't want me. You don't want me as your Savior. You don't want to be saved. Well, then I'll just leave you alone. And you cross what's referred to by many theologians as God's deadline. You cross that. And you'll, you'll never sense that voice calling you again. I remember years ago in my, my room at my grandmother's house, she had a, a picture hanging on the wall. And some of you may remember seeing, especially if you're older, remember seeing a picture. It was pretty popular during that time. And it was a picture of Jesus standing at a door knocking. And Jesus was knocking. There's the picture there. Knocking. And, and on the portrait, right above that door, was a, a picture of a heart. And the, in essence, the, it was that God is standing, at, or Jesus is standing at your heart's door knocking. And, and he's, he's wanting to come in. And if you go to someone's house and you go to visit, and you stand there and you knock on the door, no one answers the door after a while, what are you going to do? You're going to just turn and walk away. You're going to leave. Well, in essence, that's what God does when you continue to reject him and reject him and reject him. There is a time there that God has set, known only to him, that you don't feel that tug anymore. You don't hear the knock anymore. You don't hear the call of God anymore. You say, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. And he said, well, so be it. And then he turns and he walks away. And that's what he said in Genesis. My spirit will not always strive with men. That's what it means when he said Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It meant that God gave him up. It meant that God abandoned him. It meant that God withdrew his convention. It meant that God's never going to seek to touch that heart again. And as I was thinking along this line, I, I, I began to wonder that when we gather on the Lord's Day, such as we are here this morning, is this day, as you're sitting where you are right now, during this service, whether you make a decision for heaven or whether you reject God's grace his forgiveness and his offer of eternal life to you, that free gift of eternal life? Is this the day that you experience heaven or you reject heaven? Also, is this the day when the Lord decides that he's never going to call on your heart again? He's never going to touch your heart again. Is this that day? For that reason, I plead with you this morning, before you cross the deadline of a holy God, Humble your heart, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And when I give the invitation, don't hesitate and don't put it off. Don't wait for another day. Just answer that simple knock at your heart's door. S simply answer that call of the Holy Spirit to your heart as he says, come, come, come follow me. Answer his knock on your heart. Come down the aisle and say, Brother Sammy, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord, my Savior. And so this passage tells us about being in a perilous place. You may be in a perilous place and you've given up hope. But in Jesus Christ, you can be delivered from that place. He does it time and time and time again. This passage also tells us something about missing heaven. 
And so the point is, if you continue to harden your heart, one day you're going to cross God's deadline and God's going to remove his conviction from you. So you need to come today. You need to come during this invitation to him and say, Brother Sammy, I want to trust Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. There's lessons to learn from the Red Sea. One is there's deliverance in perilous times. And two is there's a warning that God will harden your heart to the point to where he withdraws himself and you will not hear or feel that Holy Spirit conviction anymore. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to just uh, remember some words perhaps that we've read years ago. And so, Father, thank you for reminding us Lord, that there is deliverance found in you when we find ourselves um, uh, between a rock and a hard place. Some people may be there this morning. They think there's no hope, there's no solution, uh, there's no deliverance, but really, you, Lord, that when they put their faith and trust in you, you always provide a way of escape, a way out. You take care of your people. And so, Lord, I can just imagine how your people felt with the sea behind them and the Egyptians in front of them. They were in a perilous situation. There was no way out unless you helped them, and you helped them. You did what you said you would do, and you provided a way. And so, Lord, you'll do that for anyone that puts their faith and trust in you. And, Father, you'll do that for an individual. You'll do that for a church. I've seen it happen, Lord, in both ways. And so I thank you, Lord, for deliverance when we think there's no hope and there's no help, there's no way out, and you always have come through. And we thank you for that. Thank you for speaking to our heart and give us warning, Lord, about hardening our heart, saying no and rejecting you and building up a, a wall against you to the point to where you just withdraw yourself from us. And Lord, thank you for continuing to convict me of my sin, calling me to you, that day where I ask you to forgive me, come into my life. And I was born again, experienced, Lord, that new birth, regeneration in my life. My life hasn't been, it's been the same. It's been changed, and I thank you for that. Father, I pray for each person here and each decision to be made this morning. Speak to our hearts, I pray for any decision that you're calling people to. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.